Good morning. Scripture reading today will be in uh, Psalm 16. We're going to read the entire psalm this morning. So if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 16, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version this morning. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. This is God's word. Let's bow and pray to the Lord. Lord, uh, We agree with David. We have no good besides you. For you have lavished us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have pardoned all our sins and removed all our transgressions. You have given us the shield of your salvation and crowned us with your everlasting love and compassion. You have girded us with your strength, enabling us to withstand the onslaught of the fallen world. You have taken hold of our right hand, guiding us through life promising never to leave us or forsake us. You have made us your beloved children, causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. You have given us a living hope, reserving for us an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. Blessing 
the bomb blessing. How can we ever find words to express our gratitude, Lord? All of our voices and all the voices of all the saints could never adequately convey the thankfulness that fills our hearts. You do give us pleasures forever. And indeed, we have no good besides you. We pray in your name. Amen. Good morning, church family. You know, we uh, last week, Pastor Tom helped kickstart our new series that we are currently underway with, and that series is called Spiritual Fitness. And... Um, The purpose of this whole kind of series is to really kind of come back to the fundamentals of what it means to pursue Christ, or really to foster godliness in our life. You know, it's interesting to note in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says this, train yourselves for godliness, for while physical exercise has some value, godliness has value in every way. And so there's, there's this kind of way of the Christian life that, uh, that really encourages by necessity uh, certain practices or habits or disciplines as they're classically or traditionally called to, to f- pursue regularly in, our, regularly in our lives so that we might pursue Christ, that we might become Christ-like. And so we've been pursuing, we, we started this last week, right? Pastor Tom went through biblical community, and we continue in this series this morning on these spiritual, these spiritual practices, these spiritual habits. Now, I want to just kind of say this up front as a way of kind of still introducing what this, this series is all about. These practices or these habits are really to encourage you in your pursuit of Christ. And these aren't things that were kind of, or practices that were somehow uh, come up with maybe more recently in recent psychology or something. No, these practices and these habits were, have begun since the second century. So these are, not some, these are not new ideas. These have been practiced from the beginning of Christendom and have proven to be fundamental to the Christian faith. And so things like prayer and fasting and scripture reading, meditation on scripture, giving, Sabbath rest, biblical community, all these things are are fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe another way we could describe this series for us, or these practices, is that these practices are the way of Jesus. You know, in his final words to his disciples before Jesus went to his to the cross, we oftentimes refer to this as the upper room discourse. In John 14:6, Jesus says this, "I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me." Now, in these words, Jesus not only teaches us the exclusivity of him for salvation, but he also gives us a blueprint for how we are able to attain the life that he promises. A guy guy and pastor and author by the name of John Mark Homer offers a really helpful commentary on these verses when he says, evangelicals oftentimes get the, the truth about Jesus correct, but miss an important component 
to godliness, and that is the way of Jesus. In other words, much like the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, we uphold the truth of Jesus vigilantly as we should, but no matter how zealous and how doctrinally correct we may be or convinced of, it's very common to still not experience the life that Jesus promised. Why? Because the life of Jesus can only be experienced when we pursue both the truth and the way of Jesus. You see, the way of Jesus is what we're after here in this spiritual fitness series. And it's not only to believe rightly about Jesus, it's not only to know the truth, but it is also to live rightly. And by live rightly, what I mean is not necessarily our obedience, though that is very important. Living rightly is summarized in, in, in part by our obedience, but I'm also talking about the mode, the rhythm, the way in which Jesus went about his day and his week, the fact that he, the, the way in which he responded to unplanned encounters with people. Have you ever noticed that when you look on the pages of Scripture, especially in the Gospels, that Jesus never seemed to be in a rush? Did you, have you ever noticed that or made that observation that Jesus was very relaxed? He wasn't frantic. You never saw or see that Jesus was somehow anxious. Yes, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane that he's, he's carrying a, an extremely heavy burden because he knows what, he's about to, what is about to take place in a few short hours. But in his life and in his ministry, Jesus had this kind of jeito, right? That's the Portuguese way of calling it, like, there you go, Tom. This, this mode, this way about him in which he just is like, he just was walking in step with his father. The fact is, we all have a way. All of us have a rhythm. All of us have a certain mode that we function within. And that mode or that rhythm reflects our values. It reflects our priorities. Our way oftentimes is extremely influenced by the culture that we inhabit. And so as much as we think that I am a unique person, I'm an individual, I'm autonomous, nothing influences me. And the fact is everything influences you. You are a product of your culture as much as you try to think you're not, or at least the culture in which you try to identify with most closely. For example, it is normal or becoming more normalized in our culture, not just to have one job, but to have three jobs, right? We call them side hustles because it sounds less guilty, Side hustles where we can earn more money and get further ahead and and really plan for that millionaire retirement idea that we've been implanted with. Or for example, we have extracurricular activities. There is no shortage of extracurricular activities that we have the opportunity to participate in, right? Now again, Wow, what an incredible gift to have so many things afforded to us, and yet at the same time, we are on this hamster wheel that never stops. 
We are on this, 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 we have our mode and our rhythm is always about keeping up the Joneses. And as, of course, as parents, you know, of children, we're always comparing ourselves horizontally. So, you know, Billy Jean over here, they're doing this with their family. Maybe we should be doing that with our family. Oh, Bobby over here has this opportunity. Maybe we should have that opportunity. Oh, shoot, I'm not a very good parent because they aren't doing 13 things before dinner, after school, and before homework. And to do it all over again. And we wish we had nine days out of the week and 48-hour days. We all have a mode. We all have a jetu, a rhythm about us. You know, being busy used to be a bragging word, and now we just want to cry. J.T. English highlights in his book, Deep Discipleship, he says this, we are all formed by what we do. We are all formed by what we do. The habits we develop shape us into who we are. He goes on to, to say that the church that is focused on creating holistic disciples is offering counter rhythms and counter habits than that of the world so that we might be formed into the people of God. The fact is, either you are a product of your culture or you are actively and proactively pursuing a counter habit, a counter rhythm to what is commonly expected. So in short, this, this whole series about spiritual fitness or spiritual rhythms or spiritual habits is really, it's talking about or identifying and, and pursuing the way of Jesus in conjunction with the truth of Jesus so that you and I might experience abundantly the life of Jesus. Last week, as I said, Pastor Tom addressed an important counter-rhythm in our lives, and that is the pursuit of biblical community. And in doing so, Pastor Tom gave us 11 marks that describe what biblical community looks like. After all, the quality of our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ ought to have a a positively distinguishable contrast from all other relationships. There ought to be a a uniqueness to the fellowship and the relationship that you and I experience with brothers and sisters who have been saved by Creator God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That ought to make us kind of different, at least to some degree. Well, this morning we dive into another spiritual practice another counter-rhythm, and that is, the found, that is foundational to really to our holiness as well as to our pursuit of godliness, and that, is, that foundational practice is rhythms of rest. Rhythms of rest. I forgot my little clicker down here. Hold on a second. There's a, a joke here. Is it coming up here? It's not coming up here. There we go. Oops. Okay. Are you, are you controlling me or am I controlling you? <laughs> Just let me take it, Megan. Thank you. <laughs> Is it working? 
Can you bring us to the first one, Megan? Thank you. Now, I know this joke is not politically correct, so please withhold the emails and the texts afterwards. <laughs> the question is, doctor, I've heard that cardiovascular exercise can prolong life. Is this true? And the answer is, heart only good for so many beats, and that it. <laughs> Don't waste on exercise. Everything wear out eventually. Speeding up hard, not make you live longer. It's like saying you extend life of car by driving faster. Want to live longer? Take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Now, no doubt, most of us in here would, uh, would know that an appropriate amount of exercise is important to us. Also, in conjunction with a healthy diet, all that is good for our bodies. But what is oftentimes neglected in our pursuit of health is adequate rest and regular consistency to our rest. And I'm not just talking about catching your breath after a a specific workout. What I'm talking about is catching your breath after a full week of constant work and busyness and activity and responsibility. I'm talking about an intentional, regular, anticipated rest from your weekly hustle. The Bible has a word for this intentional, regular, anticipated rest, and that word is Sabbath. Now, let me ask you this. What comes to mind when I mention the word Sabbath? Or more specifically, what is your immediate reaction when I, when I say this? You should keep a regular Sabbath. Some of you might raise questions like, well, wasn't that an Old Testament command that we no longer have to follow? Um, isn't keeping the Sabbath kind of, uh, uh, kind of day sort of legalistic now? Maybe, you're, maybe you would say, well, what day is the Sabbath supposed to be in the first place? Is it Saturday like the Jewish calendar in you know, Seventh-day Adventist? Or is it Sunday as was kind of initiated early on in Christendom? Or, or you might even say, I don't really know much about Sabbath at all, but I do know this, that I don't see too many people practicing it in the church, so what gives? Does God really even care about this whole concept or idea of Sabbath. Well, I want to clarify something out the outset, and I also am looking at the time here, and uh, let's just put it this way. I feel a little anxiety about trying to get through rhythms of rest, in all honesty. Uh, I feel a little bit anxious, and so I'm just like, Lord, please help me to be relaxed, because there is way more to say than there is time available. And so my intent is not to try to say everything, but I do want to kind of plant a seed that I hope and pray will only germinate in your heart. So we're going to, this morning, we're just going to just survey, and by the way, we're doing a part two next week, so whatever I don't finish this week, I'll try to make, into, make sure it's in the next week. So, But this morning, we're going to talk about what Sabbath is and why I believe Sabbath is still important even to this day, and then offer some practical ways in which we can begin to implement Sabbath in our weekly rhythm. And I'll be pointing to you a number of different passages. We'll be kind of glossing over some things. 
exposing you to or uh, you know, just uh, introducing you to some passage of Scripture that you can chew on later. But my prayer for us is this. In, in all that is going to be said, in all that you're going to receive, in all that you potentially might remember, I pray that you remember and understand this, that Sabbath is a gift from God to you. Sabbath is a gift from God to you so that by it you might be renewed in him. I don't think we have the right slides here. So, you can just take it off. It's okay. Do we get it now? There we go. Okay. It's going to be one of those services. (laughs) Sabbath is a gift from God to you so that by it you might be renewed in him. You see, Sabbath is not just another spiritual checklist to make God happy with you. Quite the opposite, in fact. No, Sabbath is a gift from God to relieve you from your checklist so that your joy would be restored, so that your body would heal, and so that your mind might be renewed in him. Remember we talked about earlier that the Sabbath, much like all the spiritual practices or habits, are a means to an end. They're not an end in and of themselves. They're not the point. They are a means to the point, and that is to bring you into the presence of God more faithfully, more regularly, more impactfully. It is a means to bring you and so that you might be reminded of that, of where Christ is in your life. It is an end that is to, to usher into you the presence of your heavenly Father so that you would hear clearly from him. It is an end by which the Holy Spirit would, might fill you more fully. So let's talk about what Sabbath is. Sabbath in its most basic form is this. It is a day of rest from your regular work or routine. That's what Sabbath is. It's a, it's a day of rest from your regular work or routine. I mean, Sabbath literally means, by definition, to cease or to stop. It's interesting that the ancient uh, Hebrew language didn't even have days of the week. You know, we say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? And then we finally get to the weekend, hallelujah. And, uh, but in the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, they actually did not, they called it one day, two day, three day, four day. And you know what they called the Sabbath day? Stop day. Sabbath day was literally called stop day. And this stop day was a day set aside that looks differently than all the other six days out of the week. Look at Leviticus 23, for example. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest. An official day for the holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. I love what Matthew Sleeth describes or defines in his book called 24-6. He says this, Sabbath is a transition from human doings to human beings. 
It's a transition from human doings to human beings. And so we see that this stop day wasn't just something that God initiated with the people of Israel in the desert when he gave them the law, but this is actually something he modeled for us from the very beginning of creation. For example, look at Genesis chapter 2. It says this, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God finished his work of creation. And so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, we should not conclude that God rested on the seventh day because God was tired. That would make God less God-like. He doesn't have those kinds of limitations like you and I have. So God doesn't rest because he's tired. He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for us. He's, he's resting to model for our sake. And notice also that everything that God created has a structured rhythm in its design. I mean, you think about it. We, we function within a 24-hour day. There's a time of light and there's a time of darkness. There's activity and growth when it's light, and there's a stopping and a rest that takes place when it's dark. Even biologically, God has designed us as human beings, right? Not just human doings, but human beings, to, to, to when, the, when the, the, the light dissipates and the darkness is more evident, our brains change and melatonin is released and that makes us sleepy and tired and then we're called to rest. In fact, get this, before the invention of the light bulb, thank you, Mr. Edison, before the, the invention of the light bulb, people used to sleep an average of 11 hours a night. That's more than some of you have slept all weekend. <laughs> It's crazy. Can you think about 11 hours in one night? I can't remember the last time. I don't, Katie, I know you probably could do it, so it's true. You teenagers can definitely put that to shame. But in general, that was how, when, when it was dark, people went to bed, and they got up, guess what? When it got light again depending on the season. So there were seasons for everything. Every, every week has seven days. Each year is made up of 52 weeks. Each year has four seasons, four cycles, a time to blossom, a time to grow, a time to die, a time to remain dormant. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3 talks about there's a time for everything. The point is this, Sabbath rest is important because it is consistent with God's design of creation. Not only his design of creation, but the way in which he went about creating everything in the first place. But we cannot linger too long on what Sabbath is without quickly transitioning as to why it is important for us. And I believe that it is important for us, not only for our physical health, but also for our spiritual wholeness. And this brings us to our second point. Sabbath is important because, first of all, we see it commanded on the pages of Scripture. Now, I know that word command probably resonates like a four-letter word in our minds. We go, ooh, we cringe a little bit. It's a trigger word, command. I don't like to be commanded to do anything, right? Right? Are we all just resting in here? Just relaxed? That's good. But wake up. We don't like to be commanded anything, but the fact is, the scripture is full of commands. As we learn, though, commands for our good, not for, not to work against us. 
commands that are actually God, because God has created us and he loves us and he knows us better than anybody or anything else knows us. And so he goes, I give you things, things not to steal your joy, but to give you your joy, to restore your joy, to restore your hope, to restore your life. So you might become more fully human, actually, because so many things in life are actually dehumanizing us. And so God gives us commands in Scripture like Sabbath. In the law given to the people of Israel, God commanded them them to stop and to rest, almost as if, if he didn't, Israel would not have stopped and rested. It's almost as, kind of like what maybe our lifestyle can be defined by. If we don't, or if we're not told to stop, we probably won't stop. And so we see in the, in the Ten Commandments, as it's traditionally known in Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment is this, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male, your female servants, your livestock, or any foreigners living among you. For in six days, here's the justification for it. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Again, as I said, this is the fourth commandment out of the, what is traditionally known as the Ten Commandments. A couple observations about it. We already went out of Ten Commandments series, so I won't spend too much time on this. You can look back at the previous recordings. But first of all, this fourth commandment is a unique commandment because it acts as a sort of fulcrum to the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment is a fulcrum. You know what I'm talking about, a fulcrum? You know, think of a teeter-totter. Three commandments on one side are how we relate to God, and the other six commands are how we relate to one another. And the fourth commandment is a fulcrum command to tell, that tells us both how we relate to God as well as how we are to relate and function with one another. Not to mention, it's kind of ironic that all the commands are almost short, pithy little statements, but the fourth command, the command about Sabbath, requires much commentary, as if we need a lot of explanation because we're not going to get it otherwise. I think it's also ironic that this one command is the most neglected command. Isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, we all agree that murder is probably wrong, right? Right? Please hold on your head. We would probably all agree that, you know, making a, you know, an image that represents God or whatever God in our own making or, or, or adopting another God that isn't even real in the first place is, is not right. But when it comes to this fourth commandment, all of a sudden it's deemed, well, optional, right? Hey, you know, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, we, we're not going to murder and we're not going to put little figurines on our mantle or anything, but, um, you know, Sabbath, we'll just see. After all, it's an Old Testament thing, as we talked about, right? And we're, we, we are New Testament Christians, Christians and, and Jesus fulfilled the law, and we are in Christ, so ultimately in Christ we fulfill the law, so it's already taken care of. Or that's just what Seventh-day Adventists do, because that is their theological conviction. Or my job doesn't coincide with Sabbath, so I don't even have the option to observe it in the first place. 
And of course, the classic one is no one really knows or no one really observes this command, so it's probably not that important. Well, regardless of your reasons for not observing this Sabbath command, don't you find it interesting that it has been deemed optional by most in the church? You see, it wasn't that long ago, at least in Western society, that Sundays were oftentimes a day set apart, even if it wasn't for religious purposes. Businesses were closed. Sports were actually not on Sunday. Now sports, Sunday is like the day of sports. Bars were even closed. But my, how things have changed, right? Yes, we produce more, and we make more, and we spend more by utilizing all seven days in the week, but we do have to ask this important question, are we really better for it? Are we really healthier by producing more? Have we really gotten ahead? Have you really completed your checklist, your to-do list? And if you think you have, how long has it been completed? The fact is, the reality of life is like you never quite reach it. And that's the whole practice of Sabbath is going, it is a, it's, it's a practice and a step of trust, of entrusting your schedule to the Lord, saying, you know, I have 30 things in front of me, but right now my greatest need is to stop and to be still before my Savior. We see that God cared so much about Sabbath that it, even, it, didn't ju- it wasn't just limited to human beings, but it, was also, it also included agricultural practice as well as economics and relationships. Every seventh year was to be a year of rest for the ground. Every seven cycles of seven years, 49 years. The 50th year was to be called a year of jubilee in which everything was reset. Slaves were no longer slaves. All transactions were reset. Land was returned to its original owner. No matter how far you got ahead in life, every 50th year you lost it. Think about that for investment purposes. Think about how you would invest differently if you knew, oh, I'm coming up on the 50th year. Everything I invest in right now is not going to actually gonna stay with me. Up to this point, we, might, we see that God instituted a rhythm of rest not Again, not to make our lives more difficult, not to add another rule, but so that by it you might be restored and renewed in Him. By design, you and I were created to experience regular rhythms of rest, and when we don't, I think it's safe to say, if we're honest with ourselves, we suffer for it. This brings us to our third point. Wow, I'm actually getting through this pretty quick. I only have three points. (laughs) Sabbath rest is important for our holistic well-being. Sabbath rest is vital to our holistic well-being. You see, when God rested on the seventh day of creation, he what? He declared this day as what? Holy. Do you know what holy means? Holy means to be set apart. You see, what we observe from the beginning of creation is that there is a direct correlation between our rest and our holiness. They go hand in hand. 
And as we see in Leviticus chapter 20, as well as in 1 Peter 1, God, God's desire for us, his intention for us is that we would be holy as he is holy. Or think about Psalm 46 verse 10 where David says this, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. The implication is that by our stillness, it is the means by which we know God. To quiet the noise of life so that we can hear from the one who made us and knows us. Matthew Sleets, again, says in his book, 24-6, he says, stopping and staying in place yields the kind of stillness that allows us to hear and to see what has always been there. Have you ever taken a hike with little kids? I'm a point A to point B hiker. I'm like, the view's at the top, let's get to the top. But then you take my kids on a nice stroll through the woods, which is glorious. <laughs> but it's not the pace I normally hike. And uh, I like to kind of hike fast. I, I justify it through getting better exercise. And then you get to the top of the mountain. You're like, wow, this is amazing. All right, let's get down here, you know. But the kids, they're, they're observing everything. And it's actually been a good exercise for me because guess what? I miss a lot when I hike alone or when I hike fast, but I observe a whole lot more when I hike with my kids because they identify and point out all kinds of things that I would just gloss over. And yet when it comes to our spiritual lives and the, and the health of our own soul, it's vital that we slow down and stop to quiet the noise. You know, I just, Abby and I have been listening to this. I've been listening to this podcast all week, and we were listening to it yesterday on a drive. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that this podcaster was saying uh, was quoting C.S. Lewis, and I don't, you've probably have heard the screw tape letters. You know, it's a fictitious kind of allegory about, you know, you know, senior demon and in junior demon, junior demon in training or something, you know, and they're talking about, you know, how do we disrupt these wicked people called Christians, you know, and God's plan. So it's a reversal on everything. But one of the ways in which the senior demon is talking uh, or saying, you know, talking to his junior demons going, hey, we just got to keep the noise up. As long as we keep the noise going, they don't have time to stop and think. The enemy, brothers and sisters, loves to keep us distracted. He does not want us to stop or be still because you know what? That's where you are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You see, when we stop, the things that have been deeply buried in the innermost parts of our soul and heart, they begin to surface. Now, sometimes that might even scare us. That's why we don't stop. Because we don't like what comes to the surface. It scares us about what comes to the surface, right? And so we immediately distract ourselves. In fact, if you look at the literal understanding or a word called amusement, which is a synonym of entertainment, um, to muse means to think, 
To amuse means to stop thinking. Amusement park. (laughs) Entertainment is to distract you from thinking about the weightier things of life. To distract it. I'm not saying they're wrong necessarily. I'm just saying the enemy works through even really good things to distract us from the most important things. And our soul never rests. And we struggle to be still. And yet it's in those quiet moments that Daddy, Father in heaven, speaks to us. Think about 1 Kings chapter 19, right? How did, how did God introduce himself to young Samuel? It was a still, quiet voice. Oftentimes, we may not hear from God just because we haven't been willing to stop. To stop long enough to hear his still, quiet voice. We'll talk more about this this next week when it comes to, as that translates to our technology. So be forewarned. Let me just say this. Henry Nouwen said it well, I think, when he, when he spoke to silence and solitude and this need to just be still before the Lord. He says this very bluntly. We cannot have a spiritual life apart from consistent periods of silence before God. You cannot actually have a spiritual life if you're not willing to stop. You cannot follow Jesus if you're always going. And you're never willing to be still before the Lord. So being still, it gives, it allows ourselves to, to come into a place where we give God our undivided attention. Being still before the Lord allows him to get, it gives us him our undivided attention so that we might receive from him. Just the other day, and you probably can relate to this, so I know I'm not the only one, but uh, there's a stark contrast to when my wife and I are talking and looking at each other than when we're talking and doing other things, right? So we're in the kitchen. And Abby's talking to me. This just happened the other day, so I love how the Lord gives us real current examples as I'm preparing this sermon on undivided attention. And she just has to tell me, she's like, can you just stop? So I'm like cleaning the counters, I'm putting dishes away, and she, we're in the same room, but my, my eyes are not focused on her, and then she just goes like, can you just kind of look at me? <laughs> can you just stop what you're doing? And it's just like, yeah, drop the, t- drop the towel, it's Okay. There's, there's a quality of interaction that takes place when we're looking at each other and we're not multitasking because you can't actually multitask anyways. Your brain does not have the capacity to multitask. We call it multitasking, but you don't actually have the ability to multitask. You just go back and forth to a lot of different things at once. What God wants from us, what we most desperately need, brothers and sisters, is to hear from God. And the way in which you and I are able to hear and receive from God is to stop multitasking. It's not to say you can't throw a podcast as you're driving on somewhere. All those things are great opportunities, but in the end, what God wants is he wants 
your soul. He wants your heart. And sometimes that just means do nothing but sit there and let him speak to you. It's the hardest thing to do. That's why we need it so desperately. It's a practice. It's a habit. It is fundamental to pursuing godliness. Frederick Buckner says in his book on Sabbath, it's no surprise that the Bible uses hearing, not seeing, as the predominant image for the way human beings know God. So it kind of begs the question, are we in the practice of stopping and being still so that we might hear? Yes, we're called to bring everything to God in prayer. But even more importantly, we're called to listen to God in prayer. Let me just jump on ahead here. I said this in the beginning, and I'm just going to reemphasize it again. Sabbath is God's gift to you. Please don't, if there's everything, if you forget everything else, just let this resonate in your minds. Sabbath is a gift for you. It's a gift for you because God loves you. And he desires that you stop long enough to reflect on his love for you and to receive words of life. You see, when we don't stop regularly, we actually sabotage God's gift to us. And as John Mark Comer says this, and, and he says, in a, the hurried life where we don't experience regular rhythms of stopping the hurried life is a cancer that inhibits you from both giving and receiving the love of God. Some of us in here right now are struggling in life, not because of the circumstances outside of us, is because we haven't stopped to receive the gift that God has for us, the gift of his presence, the reminder of his love. And so Jesus calls us out of a 24-7 world of constant go. And he says to us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus is Sabbath. Sabbath is resting in him. 